This, this, this is a Tape Deck Podcast. Hey everybody, it's H, and welcome to the season three finale of Dune Pod, your one-stop shop to get ready for the new Dune movie, or just to talk about movies if you don't care about Dune. This week, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jason. E to the I pi equals cosine pi plus I sine pi. And by Dune Pod graphic designer and co-host of the Synonauts podcast, Catcher. Oh yeah, yeah, H, there's darkness in the world, it turns out. (laughs) On this episode, we discuss Denny Villeneuve's Oscar-nominated breakout final Canadian feature film, Ansandi. We cover the stark beauty Denny captured in the Jordanian desert, the dangers of war and sectarian violence, and how to properly respond to a potential bear attack. If you're enjoying the show, check out our Discord server where you can join our live recordings and hang out with us whenever you want. And now, without further ado... Ansandi. Catcher, welcome back to Dune Pod. Yeah, thank you. I'm very excited to be back. I've missed you guys. I miss you too. I just, every time I listen to an episode, I'm like, that could be me though. <laughs> Instead of whoever those people are, even though sometimes yeah, those, I know who those people those, are. Those losers. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Those other tape deck losers. Right. Yeah. yeah. But so you have two modes on this on this podcast, right? Generally it's either like a really emotional, like crying, talking, right? So yeah. Lady Bird or Little Women, uh, or Call, Call Me, Me By, by Your Name. name. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. these intense Canadian violent dramas, which is what we have tonight. <laughs> right. Yeah. Violent Canadians. Is That's your right. Other mode for us. That's right. We, uh, I have a secret, a dark, a dark secret. Yeah. And it's that I, lo- I love the violence. Well, we'll get into it. We'll get into Catcher's dark secret at the bottom of the hour here um, as yeah. part of our discussion. But so season three finale, we wanted to end the season with Denny Villeneuve. This is the last of his major films in Canada prior to coming to the States to make Prisoners. It is Ansandi which is French for fires. And it was nominated actually for an Academy Award for foreign language film when it was released. So that's our film. It's pretty intense, but I think we're going to have a great conversation getting through it. I hope so. Yeah. Next, I hope, fingers crossed. Next week on the, oh yeah, next week, there's nothing. Uh, there is the <laughs> Dune Pod summer break. So actually while we're gone, we recorded a beautiful bonus episode with Meredith Borders. Mm-hmm. Boom. Third time. Third time. Third time guest. Yes. And she is here for Matthew Broderick's War Games. Yeah. Unlike Catcher, who gets to like, cover like Canadian violence, Meredith gets like <laughs> dope Matthew Broderick 80s vehicles. <laughs> like that's like her Meredith Meredith's beat is dope. <laughs> I'm hoping all this all this work I'm putting in. We'll mm. make it. We'll get you so somewhere. That I, so that I could be on on like the actual Dune movie review episode. This oh is, yeah, Whoa. I'm seeding it. I'm seeding it now so that when it happens, I turn the guilt on. Like, do you know what wow. I had to go through and watch wow. in, in order to do this? You will have done three of the Denny, uh, you know, Denny Old Town uh, movies. This is not by mistake. Yeah. Ooh. So you've got catcher playing four dimensional chess right now. I like it. Never done that before, but here we are. Yeah. 
Yes. Well, so so we're super stoked. It'll be great. War Games is a great episode, great movie, really, really terrific. I think it's, I don't know if it's on Paramount Plus or, or just available for rental, but great film and great discussion. The week after that, Mikey P joins us to talk Goodwill Hunting. Bless that, man. Uh, uh, uh. Yes, that's great. That's a great episode. I mean, like I said this last week, they're already in the can. Those are those are fire episodes for sure. So mm. stay tuned for those. Mm. And then after that, uh, we'll be back and we start with episode fifty, the big five zero. Whoa! Wow! Yeah, which L. is Veronica Belmont doing Time Bandits. Ooh! Yes. Mm. Catcher, have you seen that? No. Wow. Oh my god. What's up with all these people in my crew not having seen this film? I think if they're they're young, the answer is that they're young. So oh. they didn't see it as kids. Yeah. Uh Terry Gilliam is like one of those directors where you're supposed to watch all of his movies, but he's one of those guys that like just seems intentionally difficult. Mm-hmm. And yeah. which is strange coming from me considering a lot of the movies that I like, but like I can't <laughs> there's something about that I can't stand. <laughs> so I'm always avoiding his stuff. But Oh, really? Maybe this is my chance. I don't know if it ages well either. Like I think if you didn't have an experience with Brazil or Time Bandits like at the like, you know, in proximity or contemporaneously. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if if the folks who are seeing it for the first time now are just kind of like I don't know. It's sort of like the the Blue Velvet reaction where it's like this movie was like super important if you saw this movie at the time. Um, but now you watch it and you're like, this is just kind of uncomfortable. Like You're saying Brazil doesn't hold up objectively? I, I Brazil at one point in time was, if you asked me what my favorite movie number was, one, right? I, would, I would tell you it was Brazil. I think Brazil is a little messy. Like just like mm. objectively speaking, I think it's a little bit of a mess. Even the like director's cut version, mm. but yeah, I don't know. I, I assume we'll get to it eventually. We can find out what we think. We'll get there. Uh, I also thought today. Uh, I think this is probably. I'm going to probably save this for Ian, uh, who congrats on the on the birth of his yeah. daughter Isla. Beautiful. So happy. Yeah. I think as a as a birth gift, we'll just schedule him to come on to Dune Pod in season four to talk 2001. Oh my god. That's the that's the. The best possible gift you can give a new first-time parent is to sign them up to do a podcast on a three-hour movie with a little dialogue. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You're welcome. Yes, exactly. Congratulations. Yeah. Welcome to parenthood. Congratulations. <laughs> Please come talk to us about this very slow, somewhat ponderous, highly intellectual movie while you're on little sleep. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, let's get into some Dune news. Would you like to know more? There's Dune news this week. There's a little bit since we recorded. Since we recorded on Tuesday, there's actual. There's, I mean, about as big of news as you can get, which is that the movie is definitely premiering at the Venice Film Festival. Yes. Like we now know when the movie comes out. Like that's a pretty. That's pretty big. That's a good confirmation. That's official confirmation. We got it from Dune Info, who got it from the Hollywood Reporter. It's confirmed that it will premiere on Friday, September third, at Venice's Sala Grande. But my question is, it premieres out of competition. Right. So what is that? What is, is that just because there is no competition for Dune and so they have to take it? it? It's not competing for the awards. That's all I think. Yeah. But why? 
because it's a two hundred million dollar sci fi blockbuster and it shouldn't be competing against like the Cowboys Eating Pudding movie. Like it's the same thing we <laughs> talked about last the, time. Like the Cowboys Eating Pudding line that other day, I had me in stitches. That was the funniest oh, thing ever. Goodness. Well, yeah. I'm reusing it. Like I mean, yeah, but like you know, there's like the type of movies that win like Venice. I mean, there's been big bigger movies that won. I think I think we looked this up before and Roma won like two years ago or whatever. But like right. Roma's the kind of movie that wins. Like yeah. like you know art arty movies like i i don't think they want to i don't think villanov wants to come in or warner brothers legendary i don't think any of them want to come in and be like bigfoot the whole competition with you know we spent 200 million dollars to like film in the desert and have literally every star in the world in this sci-fi epic like what are you going to do now like your emotional inner drama bullshit movie that yeah. like you know is the <sighs> personal story of some suffering i mean whatever art is objective so like he should be able to like like it's a great movie he should, he should just be able to win. They should give him the prize. He, he should be out of competition. And still get the win. Get, they should take it away from the person who actually gets it. Like, yeah, in exactly. Moonlight style. Exactly. exactly. Actually, yeah. Fremen, yeah. Fremen should swarm up and take it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's good for them. It would be great. I'm glad it's happening. Yeah. It, it's, it's all happening. This is a good step. Do they arrive via one of those copter things ornithopter yes yeah and just like touchdown instead of boat they arrive on the lido and right and ornithopter yeah perfect 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 all right so the other piece of dune news we have is there were a few new images that popped up this week yeah high definition images it's fine i just it's really weird <laughs> that we're spending all of this time obsessing over like two and a half minutes of footage and like a handful of stills that were taken that that represent you know point zero zero one percent of the movie. The hosts on this show have swapped positions. This used to be yeah, the exactly. other way around. This used to be Jason yeah. being like, "It's a shitty image. Who cares?" And H would have built like a half an hour <laughs> news segment on like half an image. And now we've got this like reverse scenario. Yeah, where H doesn't care anymore. I'm concerned. I'm concerned I've beaten H down like over the course of the year. I like yeah. I've broken him and this podcast does, doesn't work if we're both like bitter. So we've got to figure something out. There's got to be a balance. No, no, no. I'm good. I'm, but there's, I, I'm excited. There's a, tra there, there also, I think Dune Info teased that they seem to know that there's a new trailer coming. Mm. And so there, we, we kind of do expect a second, uh, a second trailer very, sooner than you would expect, I think was the tease. Um, from, from yeah. either Dune News or Dune Info. We will see. I think that one was Dune News, but uh, yeah, so yeah. We'll, we'll get there. I'm sure that will happen while we're on break. So and yeah. then we'll, we'll come back to... Will you, will you watch the new trailer? Like, what's your vibes on trailers? Yeah, we did a we did an emergency episode on the first trailer, so we're True. we're pretty like we're not like we had Todd Vaziri on for Edge of Tomorrow, and he's like media blackout on this movie. It's like he right. doesn't want to see anything. I just can't. He didn't know Josh Brolin was in the movie. That was <laughs> that was heartbreaking to hear you tell him that. <laughs> I was just like, oh no, Todd. I'm really sorry. I did not know. I mean, I I respect anyone who's willing to construct some kind of like Truman Show existence for themselves just to like. <laughs> avoid yeah. facts about a movie coming out like you know seriously if that's like what you want like to make sure you maintain the surprise that's cool i like i am a skip to the end of the book person and so i just am like yeah give me all of it i want to know yeah. everything like so well i will tell you this week i turned down two separate requests to go onto a leaks oriented discord server to be able oh. to, to just like spoiler free just like in action uh, and I turned it down. And I, I, you know, I'm in conversation with a bunch of people that are on there. But like, I don't want to know how the movie opens. Yeah, I don't want to know exactly what scene it ends. 
those details I don't need. I want to have some surprise when I walk into it. So that, that's, my, that's my take. I'll still watch a trailer. Hell yes, I'll be very happy to do so. There's worms in it. I'm going to spoil that for you. <laughs> Damn it, Jason. Shit. All right, well, shall we get into it? We're ready. Let's rock this world. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a romp. All right, here we go. I don't know how you're going to end this one. The, I'm, this is maybe your hardest act yet. This is the, <laughs> the, <laughs> he learned French. A French multiple noun. All right. Just watch. <laughs> watch me work. Ansandis is a story of wounds inflicted and promises made. Twins, Jean and Simone, have their world rocked when their mother's will reveals that they may have a living father and brother they knew nothing about. Now they will embark on a dangerous journey into their mother's Middle Eastern homeland to identify and understand their family's heritage. We also follow the path of their mother, Noal, who as a young woman saw her family, her country, and her faith in humanity torn apart by internecine conflict as she stood defiant against unimaginable assault. Can they face their fears, their trauma, and rebuild their lives in forgiveness and love, or are they doomed to burn in Ansandi? <laughs> I think very good. Good, it's pretty good. I think it's. Yeah. I think it's worth noting. One, I have a couple questions. One, do you think every movie contains a question? Is that like? Is that like? I mean, because that's like the structure of every oh. every every intro. Do you believe every movie? <laughs> yes. like poses a question to the book. To the viewer, ultimately, that's every, a, every good film should. Okay. Well, I think that's the question, right? Is is does something overcome? Right? What's the central the central battle, and will it happen or not? Okay. You broke you broke it down. You 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 gave away my secret, Jason. <laughs> well, I'm just like fine. After 50 episodes, I'm finally catching on <laughs> to the moves. It takes me a while. The second thing I'd say is like I think on Sundays is like more properly translated as like a burnt place or a scorched thing like i think i think scorched yeah i think like scorched is like the english translation title they gave it at some point whereas like Hmm. like foot is like the pot is is like just a fire uh in french so like it has this like more kind of like wasteland like kind of association like something that's been wasted huh yeah google has screwed me it says ensemble's french fires english yeah that's what it says yeah it's just like it's like the word for fire in french most simply is feu yeah so yeah and so it's like and so it's like ensemble's is something is something a little bit more than that okay all right good to know i'm editing all of that out but okay great yeah <laughs> just just say it was great synopsis it was a great synopsis <laughs> well, really wow that. wow <laughs> Every movie does, I, you know, every movie does have a question in it. I didn't think about that before. <laughs> I'm shocked by that. <laughs> so, all right. So we have, this is written and directed by Denny based on a play by Wajdi Mawad. So who has the deets on the play? I had read that it was written in like lyric poetry. Mm. Like the, the, this, this play was like a poem play, which I don't know what that means really, to be perfectly frank. Somewhere between a musical like where instead of it being <laughs> sung, it's haiku, Spoken. you know, or something. Fun fact, Ansandi's originally a musical adapted from 
a really fun. The woman who sings that was a that's a big number in the original Whoa. musical. <laughs> <laughs> she's singing. She's in prison. Yeah. So that's that's one thing. Okay. That's one thing I knew about the original. That's one fact. You can ring the bell for that. Yeah, it's loosely inspired by the Civil War in Lebanon, but Denny is very clear to say, you know, two things. He said when he talked to folks who were in Lebanon during the Civil War, the the thing that he picked up on is you could have an event that would happen, a bombing or something, and if you talked to seven people, you would get seven different stories of what had occurred. Mm -hmm. He's like, so there really is no truth in any case. But specifically, I'm not trying to tell any real story. This is pure fiction. Yeah, that's fair. Why would he want to? He doesn't want to own any particulars of the Lebanon. But the that kind of sectarian, you know, Christian right versus Muslim, uh, you know, nationalist or whatever, like like split is is pretty much the story of Lebanon in that era. So the the mm. the broader kind of political background is you know, sort of loosely tracks, even if like the particular guys are not real. Yep. Is it set in a fictional place? Yes. That was the, that was yeah. my understanding, right? Like they've just made up yeah. an area and, and towns and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was like filmed in Jordan. So the stuff that's actually, you see that they went on location for is, is, is Jordan. Okay. Plus, plus a lot of Canada. It's just, well, okay. So let's, let's just get into it. I, none of us had seen this, right? No. No. All right. Knew nothing about it really. I just heard it was heavy. Yeah, same. Exactly. I'd I'd heard that I'd heard that it was intense. So it it opens up with this desert shot that is gorgeous and then pans mm. through a window of kids getting their heads shaved as they're being mm-hmm. indoctrinated, all while radio heads while mm-hmm. you and whose army plays. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Which is like one of the best songs ever. Yeah. It's a good song. Really good song. It's a, it's, it's some, is it a weird version of the song? Like, it's not like it, it, it's the, it's the straight album version of the song? Yeah. Okay. And I was Uh, reading somewhere maybe, or I heard it somewhere, but basically the reason why that's playing is I think he felt like traditionally you might have a shot like that. You're, you're in the Middle East. You might have some sort of like Middle Eastern style music. Mm -hmm. And he felt like that was just a lie. Like he's he didn't mm-hmm. want you to feel like the perspective of this movie was coming from someone who was from there or had insight from there. Like this was clearly coming from the perspective of someone outside of that. And so he really mm-hmm. wanted to like have a musical cue there that was very much not tied into or related to sort of like the visuals that you were seeing, which I, mm. I think that's really smart. And I think also good in that you're not sort of like so full of your own shit that you're like yeah let's just like really get in the mood it's like he's aware of his perspective and like where he's coming from and he's not trying to falsify anything mm-hmm. and I think that's like very like from a perspective like a director's perspective I think is very like smart and in like a low key way kind of brave in understanding your own like sort of limitations nice I, I love like it. I love it. When so that you know, as you're watching him shave these kids' heads, um, you see that he he's standing without shoes on, and you see that he has three dots uh, in in a tattoo on his heel. And then there's just one shot of this kid as he's shaving his head, and it's slowly pushing in. Mm. And the way this kid holds this look 
Uh, yeah. The cinematography flex is just insane. And I do want to call out, this is Andre Turpin, uh, who is the DP here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who I didn't really recognize the rest of his resume. Is any of the other stuff with Denny? Well, Maelstrom, hold on. So Maelstrom and Cosmos are two. So Denny directed Maelstrom, and Cosmos was the one that is the short film that he was involved. Oh, and he also did August 32nd on Earth. Oh, okay. Okay. So so almost all of them, except for um, Polytechnic. Okay. All the Frenchy ones he did on the... Mm-hmm. All the, the ones before he came to Hollywood. Okay. All right. That's interesting because I, I was sort of wondering because there's so many shots in this movie that are very like Villanuvian. You know, like there's a lot of like mm. there's a lot of Sicario vibes in this in this one. And obviously Roger Deakins did not shoot this movie. So it was interesting, like sort of looking at like this versus Sicario, and you're like, oh, there's a lot of similarities between these two, even though they were you know, shot by very different people. This is when they met, actually. Um, so, so Roger and James saw Ansandi and met Denny briefly at the Oscars when he came out. I see. And they were like, they were blown away by this film. They were way into it. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. We were talking about this. Uh, I forget which Discord, whichever one it was. We were talking about coloring of other countries. So. As a sort as a racist shorthand technique, yeah. So we don't get that here, right? Like, I mean, this is like it's a fairly washed out desert vibe. I think it's less so than like Sicario, for example, where like all of a sudden they go to Mexico and it's like super yellow, super mustardy. I think it's I think you get a little bit less of that here. Yes, and also like I think Jason, as you were I think about to get to, like suggests he's got a strong visual language that he's working from. Yeah. You know, and like he's 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 coming to Deacons and they're working together. This isn't like Deacons is taking all the work and do, like they're clearly collaborating and have sort of like a a similar vision when they're looking at how to frame things. The specific things I would call out like are like there's a lot of like long two shots of like, you know, two people talking, shot from far away and the shot goes on for like three minutes and like the whole conversation plays out. It's the same scene we talked about in, in Sicario where they thought they were going to shoot coverage for it. And then he's like, no, nah, this is good. We're just going to take this. Uh, we'll just take like, you know, the one master. And this one, actually, Danny talked about that uh, on Deacons as well. I remember I had done a shot like that in a sound scene where I shot both characters, the twins, they come out at the beginning of the movie that, that there's a brother and a sister and they just learn a terrible news, an incredible news. They have a father alive somewhere, and they, they cannot believe, and a brother. And it. It's a, a news that is so big, and I wanted to express their vulnerability and how they feel small in the world. And I remember doing that white shirt, and I said, that's it. It's there. Everything is there. And the next thing I've done, I said to the cinematographer, knowing deep in my heart that I got everything I needed, I said, let's do coverage. And I hated myself. I, I every shot after yeah. that, I was doing the shot. I said, "What am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why I, I'm a coward right now? I, I I don't follow my instinct. I know I don't need to do this. And it's a movie that was shot with not a lot of money, so I, it was like a, a precious time, precious. And I, I, I and I felt that I, I didn't knew where to go with the camera after it was a mess, and I was angry at myself. And I said, "Never again." That's great. So it's interesting. I mean, like, not to jump ahead to the what do we learn about Dune stuff, but, like, it's pretty wild. And, like, you know, you even see this in Arrival. These, like, very kind of, like, long, 
like really creating a lot of space. It's similar to like stuff that you see in like, you know, like a movie we've talked about before, like Her or like, you know, Ex Machina. Like, you know, they, they, these movies where they, they create like a lot of space, um, a lot of atmospheric vibe of just like, okay, there are these characters, there was like some, you know, the, the way in which like they occupy the space creates the emotional tension. It's wild to think about like a $200 million sci-fi movie, like sort of being shot that way, like where they've, got, where they've just got a lot of beats. They've just got a lot of like beats to get through in a movie like that. Like, you know, right, and, right. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of action. Like there's a lot of shit that happens. Like a lot of the action in this movie, like takes place, um, you know, off screen, for example. Mm. And so I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I think too, what's like he, I was watching an interview and he was talking about how, he had spent like a really, really long time, like years working on this script. Um, and he felt like at that moment, like he was, because he had gotten the Oscar nom, he was like, well, this is like, this is like my my best work for sure. And I think what's really good, uh, going to be interesting about Dune is he's been thinking about this movie like 12 times as long yeah. as that movie, you know? And he's like, in his head, he has been cutting and, and trimming and, and rearranging and building. And so like this is not something that he's been given the reins to some like big budget movie and he's got to sort of figure out it over a, you know, a two year period. This is like right. going to be something that's so well considered that it's going to be interesting to see. I like it. All right. Well, so now we get into the first of the, of the on screen credit elements, uh, Le Jumeau, the twins, Le Jumeau. the font, the red color, like the just stunning visually, loved it. Severe, yeah. It it, it indicates that you're into some. You're going to be into some heavy heavy shit here. So we have Jean and Simone, and we have their mother's will. So she's died, and I love. So first of all, the the person driving the action forward in this, and and a bunch of this movie is driven by notaries. And so this will be a recurring theme here, but yeah. we have our first notary and he has like these sealed envelopes and he's breaking them with a special pen, you know, with a special knife. And basically she says that she didn't keep her promise in her letter to the, to the kids and says, bury me with no casket, no prayers, naked, face down away from the world. Yeah. It's a tough one. <laughs> also, I don't know if you've ever dealt with notaries before. Yes. You can just like a notary can just be like some bro down at like the, the post <laughs> totally. office store. Like it's not like a sacred charge necessarily. One time I did get I was like signing mortgage papers or something like that, and I got uh-huh. the notary to to come to me, like come yeah. to my house. Mobile notaries, mobile notary, and the bro that showed up had a special. <laughs> I, I I shit you not. Uh, like he had a uh, a propeller beanie that when it was time to like for to sign the documents and for him to notarize he put the beanie on like that was like his i'm on the clock vibe uh, wow yeah for you that's for for a mortgage now if it was a will with a secret story and you know stuff you know maybe it would be different it would be a different hat a different I hat <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it would be a fez of some sort right, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so, she, so she has left a number of letters for the kids. And so she says, the first one, there's an envelope for their father. Mm-hmm. And then there's a second one that is an envelope. These are sealed for their brother. Mm-hmm. And only once both of those have delivered, they will be given a letter for them and then they can put a headstone on her grave and her name in the sun. It's a quest. 
So it's a pretty intense, pretty intense opening. And very intense and also like really expertly sets up sort of the dynamic, the family dynamics of what's going on. Mm. Clearly, she was not a great mom. Like there's this amazing line where it's like you, you know, she loved where she worked and like you loved her as like your secretary, but she was a shitty mom, like basically is what he alludes to. And you're just like, oh, wow. Okay. Like this, there's a lot of like tension and anger and pain Mm. in this room right now. And she's not making that pain any easier. She's making it more complicated. Mm. So she also leaves them a necklace that has a cross on it and a passport. And so this was the scene after this is is the one that uh, we were just talking about, the long shot. I do love the scene where Simone is so pissed uh, and she's dead. And he's like, we have peace at last. I feel so fucking peaceful as he kicks the car. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, you're, you're good. So then we go to, uh, you know, like, how is this going to start? How are they going to start to unravel this? There is an amazing situation in this, which is like mirrored in Polytechnique. Yes. Where she's sitting in the classroom. Oh, yeah. Teacher lecturing off screen gives you the setup for all of the themes of the movie, which is just like, welcome to math, which is like, uh, welcome to life. And then it's like, you're about to go in down a rabbit hole and you're questioning constantly, should you be doing it? And you won't have answers. And it was like, okay, right, like nail on the head. Like, yeah, 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 we're yeah. not going to like give you any subtlety. Like, this is what the movie's going to be about. And I was like, oh, wait, we saw this in Polytechnique. Same sort of move. They actually, because it's pure mathematics, that the professor starts by saying, you're now entering the realm of insoluble problems. Right. right. Exactly. That's perfect. Exactly. Yeah. What if there's a scene, what if there's a scene in Dune where it's like Thufer teaching a class and it's just just like him giving like the themes of the movies like it's gonna Paul, happen welcome to dunology <laughs> you are here to learn about destiny uh, <laughs> yes. and hot rocking <laughs> this is exactly the scene you're gonna get this is the opening you didn't want to know about h we've spoiled oh. it for you now yeah it's definitely gonna happen all right i can live with it the professor does give her a link and says that she should go to this university in Daresh in the, in the Middle East, um, and he gives her a reference of someone to talk to. Mm-hmm. She also goes through her mom's drawers. She finds an old photo um, that she's going to take with her. And this is the scene where we have a quick flashback of her swimming in the pool and to the moment where her mother kind of like had her quote-unquote accident. Strokes out. Yeah, she basically just goes into a fugue state um, sitting next to the pool. And I will say, interestingly today, watching it the second time, I noticed a nice little detail in the background, which we'll get to later on when we get to the end mm. of the movie. Now we get our second big font hit, which is Nawal. That's the mother's name. And so this is her running through the fields outside her village and approaching a tree with her boyfriend. And then her two brothers come down and they literally just shoot him in the head and kill him. Yeah. And they're they're about to kill her before her grandmother intervenes and says enough. I like how economical this was, a word we use a lot. In, as praise mm. in this podcast but it was just like because i had heard that there was like an like a oma like i had sort of read like one line about the movie it was like oh she almost dies in like an honor killing situation i was like okay and then it's just like boom that's we had figured that like it's over like we already did that and then like the next thing is like she's having the baby like you know it's just real it really moves um the whole setup of the movie like really moves well i will admit to and again having been raised as a fundamentalist christian 
you know, my expectations were subverted, you know, when you had someone killing somebody else for intolerance and all of this freaking out about mixing with another religion. I assume this was sort of like an extremist Islamic family, but no, it's a Christian family. Right. right. And, the, and they're pissed because she got pregnant via Muslim in the refugee camp. Right. And so, and the grandmother's just like, she loses her shit, man. She's like, maybe I should kill you. What do I do? Yeah. That was intense. Yeah. It was intense. Nothing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it's just brutal. Like, she's, the acting actually in this is very good all around. Like, yeah. the performances are really strong. I love the, the woman who plays the, the woman who plays. Noel. Yeah. She's real good. Yeah. I was looking for what else she had been in because I felt like I had seen her in something, but I didn't recognize anything else on her filmography. Lubna Azabel. Yeah. She's amazing. I love that they manage, at least from, how I'm understanding it, like all of the people play themselves at different times, right? Like mm-hmm, she mm-hmm. plays younger mm-hmm. and mother version of her and our main characters are playing like younger versions of themselves and then current versions of themselves and they really do an excellent job of like aging them or de-aging them depending on mm-hmm. what the si- situation is and it just lends such a honesty to like the performances where it's like, yes, these are the same people. It's not like someone who kind of looks like them. It's like, Oh, it's them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Especially her. Noala. Yeah. Like she, she's incredible the way that that works. Well, that scene by the pool where you get the face close up and her face is clearly yeah. like she has seen some, some shit. And then it's like, yeah. and now you see the shit that she goes through is like the whole movie of like going through this history that she has. Have you been in the shit, sir? <laughs> yeah, I was in shit. So the baby is born. Grandma takes the baby and puts three dots on the ankle. So then we're like, oh, shit, that's it. That's the uh, from the opening. That's who that is. Mm-hmm. And then we know that's the brother uh, that is missing. So that, that's our first thread that we're, that we're following. And she agrees. The grandmother sends her to live with her uncle in the city and makes her promise that she'll go to college, which she does. Mm-hmm. At that point, we cut back to Duresh and Jean at the university. And so, Jason, help me out here. So the contact is the math professor, and he starts going into Euler's formula. E, U, P, plus N, equal zero. Donc, you exist. Yeah, he gives him some Euler. I wrote that. That was my second note of three. It was like, (laughs) shout out Euler. Good for you. What is that? E raised to I times pi plus one equals zero? Euler, Euler's identity. It's one of the most elegant formulas in math. Oh, is that why? It- What's, can you explain? E to the negative pi I plus one equals zero. What is elegant about it? Well, I mean. Is that explainable to regular humans? <laughs> it's not okay. particularly explainable. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, it's not particularly explainable. Do it. Try Try it. Basically, I can't really do it on this podcast. Like the 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 way in which the way in which what Euler figured out with the Euler's identity was that there's an expression. Uh, I mean, do you know what E is? The natural constant E. That's like it, that's like named after Euler. It's just like a super chill number that hangs out. Basically, it's a super it's a super chill number that hangs out. And yeah. he figured out he figured out this identity by which E to the I pi equals Cosine pi plus I sine pi. There's this way in which powers of E become expressed as trigonometric functions. Uh And then, so then for a specific value of the exponent, it reduces to negative one. one. So E to the, yeah. And so the thing that's elegant about it is that you've got five 
fundamental constants in math? One, zero. You've got, yeah, you got one, zero, E, I, and pi all combined in one equation. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just like, you know, it, you, and it's not particularly hard to like work it out. How hard did he party that night? That night he came up with that. Yeah, Euler man. He's, he's like bitches. I got, I got them all. I got all yeah, five. It's, it's it's time to pop bottles. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Euler's Euler's uh, super legit, man. Super legit, bro. He got his own. He got a number named after him. He got you that know, makes it real. You know what I mean? I feel like that's that's a pretty big that's a pretty big deal. Mm. If they take your whole name and reduce it to a letter and yes. make that a number, yeah, woo. yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I, I was mean, watching. Good. I was so, watching this there's documentary. No, there's no Mr. Pie, right? I mean, there's right. no bro <laughs> name. Like, you know, miss your so. sign is not a thing. That's not a. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was watching a documentary recently, and they were trying to. What was it about? Oh, they were trying. It was a bunch of people who had worked with uh, Hawking, and they were trying to figure out like what's happening inside the center of a black hole. Oh yeah, and it was a lot of the documentary is just mathematicians looking at scribblies on the board, which they clearly mm. know means all kinds of stuff that I look at it and go, oh, that's a doodle in my sketchbook. And like watching that movie, it was clear to me like how, what they're, they're seeing like synesthesia stuff where it's like you're reading it and it means <laughs> so much more than what's like happening. And like, I'll never know what that shit means. So I, I yeah, it feels good. You just watch Interstellar again. That's all. Euler's constant. Tastes like lemonade. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it goes down so smooth. Yeah. Oh my God. All right. So uh so she has to go strike out on her own. So she basically her starting point is no help at all. She does find another professor who sees her photo and says that it was taken in a prison, Kfar Riyadh. And so at that point we cut back to Nawal as a student of the opposition. And this is the interesting part where it sort of describes, you know, what's actually happening. We have a nationalist party. They support the Christian factions who want to expel armed Muslim refugees. And so even though Nawal is a Christian, she is a pacifist, and so she is against the nationalist party, who then shut down the university, and and basically open warfare is about to take off. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem good. Very much not good. Tank's bad heartbreaking moment where she's with her uncle and he's like, we're going to the mountains. And she's, she says, what about the newspapers? Like, it's gotta, we gotta be able to still do it. And he's like, no, we, we have to survive first. Yeah. We're not, we don't have time for other extracurricular shit right now. <laughs> right, yeah. I don't know. It's been a long time since the U S has been in that kind of circumstance. Like where we've got our universities invaded. I'm thinking of just, I was thinking of the American revolution. Right. Or maybe the Civil War as the as the, the closest recent analogs. Yeah, yeah, like we're shit, like shit's going, like basically society falls apart. Mm. Stay tuned. Yeah, yeah. Hey, guess what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I felt like we we're so fortunate to be able to to have a, a relatively peaceful society. Enjoy that while it lasts. Yeah, for sure. No, it's true though. Like, yeah, we we have no experience of like, and like I think that's like in general, like a, Americans have like no theory of like everything falling apart which is something you hear from people who have immigrated from places where things have been less stable is like they don't have the same assumption canada yeah can 
<laughs> but they don't have the. We're like, but you never know when a wild beaver pack is just going to take out your whole family. Damn it, they're all gone. <laughs> and syrup flood. And yeah, and like yeah, like you know they they're like you know I don't know why you think that can't happen here just because it hasn't happened here. Uh, right. You know you might be it, you know all your shit might fall apart. Mm. Uh, it's like there's a funny line in the um in the Seth Rogen audiobook, uh, which I finished and highly recommend. Speaking of great Canadians. In which he talks about as he's like, all Jews have like kind of a messy home grow, you know, and like because like they just like stacking things in piles and having all their stuff out everywhere and like a constant source of of domestic dispute for me is that I like leave my shit everywhere and leave doors open, like leave cabinets open, all that stuff. And Seth's, Seth's line, and that's just like, I've always been that way. And Seth's line is that Jews do that because they like to be able to see all their stuff so that they know what they have in case they have to get out. Right. right. <laughs> uh, yep. That's there. Okay. The books. It's yeah. generational memory, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's intense. Yeah. Well, so so we fall in a wall. She heads down south. She's going to go try and find uh, her son. And so, like, this whole crossing the border on her own, getting back to her hometown and seeing the tree where her boyfriend was shot and killed, that was super touching. And then she sees that all the boy orphans were removed years ago. And so she goes <laughs> to the new location where they were moved, and it's been bombed. Right. And so... She just has no idea, you know, whether her her son is alive or dead. Right. Yeah. She's it's it, she can't get any information at the time, which is it's a little strange because like later it seems like the notaries on the ground are able to kind of piece together what happens pretty easily. Like, oh yeah, mm. we've got these papers and everything happened. Well, it's much more closer to what's been going on. Like with the notary, it's like this is now years later. Right. Things have hypothetically calmed down. Yeah. Like yeah. she's right now like in the middle of a war that's like popping off as we speak like no one's sitting there like right this happened three days ago yeah right exactly yeah yeah it's still let me get my books hold hold on yeah exactly like the orphanage is still literally on fire when she gets there so yeah yeah, yeah. so she decides that she's going to take a risk she has to keep moving because uh someone said that that some the orphans are maybe in duressa maybe they were taken with the people who killed the town and so she decides that she's going to get on a bus. So she takes off her cross, which she's been wearing, because she's getting on a Muslim bus. And so, I don't know, you, who wants to take this one? Well, the bus gets stopped by the far-right Christian nationalist. The bus driver gets out and tries to be like, all right, let's keep it cool. They shoot the bus driver in the head and then shoot up the entire bus, killing almost everyone except for her and a small girl. She holds up her cross to be like, hey, I'm with you guys. Let me out. As they're dumping kerosene on top of the bus to burn it. Right. And the little girl runs back and they shoot her. That's tough. Yeah. It's not great. And she has kind of like a fugue state there in that moment by the side of the bus. Yeah. Well, she's like, once once everyone's gone, she just sits there, right, right. You got like a time, Mm -hmm. like a time jump, I guess, where it's clearly she's been sitting by this like wreckage contemplating like everything for quite a while because that was like barely on fire. Yeah. When the shot starts and it's like completely out by the time she sort of comes to. Yeah. So I was also struck. We cut back now. Le Sud is the next. The South is the next. Uh, Chiron, and we have Jean, and she's following her path. And you see her walking into the village. Uh, the village as whose army plays again. The song just so amazing. Yeah, that's a great. That's a great sequence. That yeah, uh, the return of that song and like yeah, all of that's great. Love it. 
So killer. And then, you know, she comes in and she meets with the women of the village who are all there. And she's translating through a great grandchild who can speak French to talk to the women. And the women are initially really nice. But when they find out who she is and they see the picture of her mom, they just they get real pissed and are like, yeah. you are not welcome here. You're looking for your dad. You don't even know who your mother is. Leave. Yeah. And that is tough. I like the way that room looked that like all of the interiors have like real sense of place in this thing. Like there's so many mm. like good, we're like, Oh yes. Like I can feel what that room feels like there. He's, he's just got, he's got a real eye. This, this villain. Of, he does. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I hope this movie, I hope this Dune movie doesn't end his career. It'd be a real shame. <laughs> Seems like he can make good movies. Exactly. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> it'd be a shame if like, it would be a shame if like what he was really supposed to do is like make like movies like, you know, like Sicario was like close enough to the sun for him. And then he did Blade Runner and kind of, it didn't go great. And now he's like way out there on a limb with Dune and maybe he never gets to make a room that has like a really dope looking interior where like the air just sort of like stifles human hope. <laughs> The power of that. Can you imagine the Renaissance 2049 is going to have? After Dune? Yeah. Do you know how many people are going to go back and be like, holy fuck, Roger Deakins, oh my God, Denny is God? Well, if you haven't seen it, please do watch it and then watch our our podcast or listen to our podcast with one and only catcher. Me. Discussing rude fabrics. (laughs) Rude materials. Mm. Rude materials. So, so we flow back to Duressa, uh, and we have Nawal uh, arriving there, and it's just war-torn, completely bombed out, and she tries to join with the rebels, and there's a moment where it's like you think she might just get killed off by the rebels. They don't really trust yeah. her because of her uncle's newspaper right. at, because she's a Christian, but she, she just says, like, she's ready to teach them what life has taught her, right. which is very intense. Yeah, great line. Yeah, and then we have a time jump, and she, you know, her hair's chopped off, and she's working for the the head of the Christian organization, right? And so you're like, oh, she's a spy, and they're like, they're like, hey, tomorrow she gets her her phone call tomorrow at 10 a.m., and you see her carrying the briefcase, and you're like, oh, she's gonna get like some secret orders, and she's gonna steal something. No, she pulls out a gun and shoots the guy in the head. Shoots the guy. Crazy. And is immediately apprehended. It's like a total suicide mission. Yeah. Yeah. Which she's clearly fine with. The way it's shot, this is like a sequence from Munich. Like, that's how good this sequence Mm. is. It's just like the tension is high. She's moving quick. The way she just quickly takes her shoes off. Mm. You know, and like, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. so she's not going to have yeah, yeah. that like extra sound of her walking with her shoes, right? right, right, right. And it's like normally seem like that might take time. It's like no, she just like she just goes for it like right away. She just like pulls a no gun hesitation. Out, this, yeah, none. And then like you said, Jason, like economically, it's just like okay, no, we don't have to like ramp the tension up. Like this is a scene about this woman who does right a, a crazy thing very quickly. Yeah, it's just like wow, so so good. Shocking. And then the movie's over. Nothing terrible happens. Uh, it was a good story. This was a great episode, guys. Uh, Thanks. Who should tell the Swinton play? <laughs> I, well, I think this is the part where, uh, you know, I was sitting out on the porch. Is this when the bear shows up? I, I was in Tahoe. And so I was sitting on a porch with my headphones on, and I thought I heard some noise off to my left over my shoulder, and I ignored it. And then I heard additional yelling, and I turned and looked over my shoulder and saw about 50 yards away a giant fucking brown bear, just huge. <laughs> <laughs> and multiple neighbors like yelling and shouting and throwing rocks at it and get out of here. 
And so, oh you know, I quickly went and laced on my running shoes so I would have mobility what? and traction. <laughs> Why didn't you just go inside? Yes. I wanted to see if there were more bears. Like, do I need, like, what do I need to do to protect my family? Go inside. You go, go inside. inside. <laughs> <laughs> First off, you're not going to outrun the bear. That's not going to happen. It doesn't matter what shoes you're running. Yeah. The bears aren't the raptors from Jurassic Park. <laughs> They're not going to open the door to your house and come in and like murder your family. Clever girl. Oh I don't know. I just was nervous. That's clear. So I wanted to. I wanted to help protect my family. I need. I need my. Sh- I, but like, were, just to be clear though, you went and got your running shoes to protect your family. It sounded like you went and got your running shoes to <laughs> run away and abandon your family and get away from the past. This force no, majeure all over again. I was starting to make my way out to try and see, like, should I be throwing rocks at the bear? You know, just sort of like, and, and no, see if there were any other no. This was the part where, where A under April walked out and was like, get inside the house. You're an idiot. Yes. Uh, close the door. Correct. So that's, a, that's what we did. Those people throwing rocks were trying to save your life because you had your <laughs> headphones on just hanging out in the woods watching a movie, not paying attention. And they were like, that's we right. need to buy him as much time as we can to get him inside the house. And you took that time and put your shoes on. No, no. <laughs> it's time for a jog. He's Thank got the wrong neighbors. idea. Damn it. All right. It's okay. You live and you learn. Yeah. It all turned out. All right. So so she is thrown into solitary prison at Kafar Riyat, which was the prison that uh, that Jean had been pointed to. And she ends up finding a guy who was a janitor there. And this is the big she this guy lays out the, the daughter, story yeah, for, for Jean. That's right. That for 13 years. The woman who sings, that was her name, she would sing no matter what. They couldn't break her. And in the end, they sent for Abu Tarek, which I think is like Father Tarek, right? Abu means father. Makes sense. And so he's a torture specialist, and he basically comes in and assaults her until she becomes pregnant. And Jean's reaction, she's still thinking that this is the brother, you know, her being raped and and getting pregnant with her brother, not realizing that it's actually her. Right. And so I was glad that Denny didn't show the actual assault. He just showed the aftermath, which was really painful in itself. Um, but he did say that the play was much more violent. This this poem play? Yes. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot more violence in it. Jesus. And his, his whole thought process was, like, on stage, it's not necessary to sort of like show everything you can do enough. Like he, he felt the scene in the bus that we mentioned earlier Mm. was enough direct violence on screen that like he didn't need to go further with it. And another interview I was listening to, he said it was actually polytechnique where he had started learning how he wanted to portray violence on screen because he felt like he didn't want to have to glorify anything. And his sort of mindset was let's show the realism and always showing it from the victim's perspective. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't glorifying. It wasn't like making it showy or entertainment. It was like, okay, if we're going to show it, we have to show it and make it feel as honest as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And he sort of like carried that all the way through like his career, I guess, is like that's his approach to showing violence, which is like, okay, be honest about it. That's good. Yeah. 
This is like that Tyler Sheridan final scene in Sicario. <laughs> I was thinking it was like the torture scene in Sicario. Mm. Like it's it's got like that same like kind of ominous creeping vibe mm. where like Benicio like walks up and puts his leg between the other guy. Like, you know, there's like there's like just sort of this like creeping dread of like, you know it's bad. You, and you don't and then it cuts away. You don't exactly know like you you don't mm-hmm. they don't actually show it's a, it's very much the same approach he took to the other torture scene. I did make a note, I was like he seems to like showing torture. I mean, like Denny Villeneuve seems to maybe have like a, he's really got a dark side, this guy. We get him and Reffin together. Yeah. Like he's <laughs> like, he's really likes the, I mean, there's, he's put some pretty tough, some pretty tough shit on screen, like between this and enemy. And he actually addressed that actually in a, uh, one of the interviews I was listening to. And he was like, it's weird because I'm not a violent person. He found, he, he feels himself to be a pacifist, mm-hmm. but he says a lot of his like filmmaking is about ex- exploring things that scare him yeah and 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 make him fearful and like violence is one of those things where he's like constantly trying to understand it i guess or and approach it and that's why it's constantly coming up in the things that he's working on because it's something that he's constantly struggling with given like the world around him Mm. so i found that kind of interesting because i think so too like there is just violence up in every like pretty much every film he's made i think so minus maybe a rival I guess like having seen like thought thinking of Arrival as like was like the movie I thought of as like being his. I didn't and not having seen much of his earlier work, even Sicario, I hadn't seen until we watched it for the podcast. I was like, I didn't really realize how much darkness was in the dude. It will be interesting to see, kind of going back to the like, what does this mean for Dune of it all? Like how much he plays into this in the pain box scene early in the movie. I think that'll be like a real that'll be like a real tone setter for the movie is like how much he lingers in that scene and makes it like feel very real versus like, you know, in the Lynch Dune, it's like cartoony. I think it's going to be pretty, I think it's going to be pretty real. I I think it's going to be pretty real. What's going to happen with when the Baron gets hold of Leto and, and other things. That's, that's that's where we're going to have some, some intensity. I think there's going to be some juicy shit in this movie. (laughs) Yeah. So at this point, we have Simone has gone to the notary back in Canada who is like, I'm taking you in country, which my mobile notary was not taking me, you know, to the Middle East. No, my guy with the propeller beanie was not getting on a plane <laughs> to Lebanon with me. He didn't spin it, pick you up and it float you away. Like <laughs> so they, they get there and they quickly have another notary on, uh, you know, on the ground who's basically figured out everything. Catch your... Does notary mean something different in Canada? Does it mean like super spy? Like, yeah. does it order like, of the. <laughs> it is kind of strange because there is sort of like one scene where he's like, Do you know what it means if we found them? And I was like, What does it mean? Tell me more. But I thought you were just lawyers dishing out money for people. So I don't know what, what you're connected to, but this seems darker. But then they never sort of like deal with that in the end. So maybe it's nothing. I don't know. But yeah, they, see, they do seem confused. The League of Extraordinary Notaries. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we, so basically they find a nurse who was the one who had um, helped, helped Nawal deliver the twins, and she calls them by their names, Sarwan and Shanan, which was the names that they were given when they were originally born, the two twins. And they're ha- kind of having to soak up the fact that they were the they were born out of rape in a prison for their mother. And at this point they have to be wondering, like, how have I been thinking about our mom for our entire lives and now knowing that she has gone through all of this and now she's dead and it's too late to talk about it. And even just like that, the, the journey you go on where it's like you, you're like, oh, okay, so this is 
where the brother like you get this vibe it's like okay well this was the where the brother was born but like we know where the brother was born is there a second brother like what's going on here and then and then right it's sort of then you start it's the film is so well paced and like it slowly gives you bits of information in the perfect way mm. and you sort of are putting it together as they're putting it together and you're like oh no you're prison babies you're <laughs> uh, not only that but like she really tried to not have you a lot yeah she was like trying to yeah hurt herself yeah you know and you're like wow that's brutal like just and I, they don't ever i think put that together obviously but like for you to know that mm. to know how much they've gone through even just like before they were even born is just like mm. what an incredible journey and like what a what a crazy situation mm. At this point, we have a shot of Nihad when he was younger, before he became Abu Tarek. And so this is kind of a weird disjointed. This kind of threw me a little bit. Him shooting kids in the street who are like carrying, I guess, bombs in bags or something and, and trying to get to him. I thought it was just groceries. I thought it was yeah. just them trying to like bring food home. And But there's a sniper just taking everybody out. Yeah, I interpret it as he just likes killing people. Really? Yeah. But yeah, yeah I don't know. That's much darker. Yes. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's why it's. <laughs> Killing kids is not cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, because they even mentioned like, oh, yeah, he, he went away, tried to find his mom. Whatever happened, he came back a changed person mm. and was just willing to do and kill anyone. Was was like the line that he gives was just like, mm. oh, yeah, including kids, like which you've seen, mm. which you've now seen firsthand. Well, at this point, Simone trying to figure out what's going on. He heads to Duressa to a refugee camp. To try and meet Shamsadan, who is the head of this of this uh, Muslim resistance group within the refugees, mm. love them walking through that sort of bombed out area, and then um, having tea with those guys, and you know something. In- I love the place the where they have the tea. I think the tea looks that whole like everything they shot there. Like again, it was just like you can totally feel what that you can feel what it would feel like to like be driven to that place, get out and just be like, what the fuck are we going to do now? And like, mm-hmm. you know, be like, I don't know. Anyone speak French? And like, just like, yeah, I, you can, you can feel like the closeness in those alleys. Like there's something just incredibly effective about how he shoots space that I can't fully explain, but is like, I've never been in that environment. And yet I could totally feel what it was like to be in that environment. He has, an interest from like again research and I've done interviews and things. He is really tapped into using the environment to explain the emotional state of the characters. Yeah. So the this idea that like they don't know where they are, they don't know where danger is coming from, if at all, and that tension is like they're in these tight corridors. There's people around. Like there's no way to move anywhere. And he's really amazing at like getting the visuals of that feeling like creating that tension with with the atmosphere of the location and like tying that in he was saying he he absolutely loves him and deacons like really came together and bonded over like location scouting mm. and really like going places and being like okay if we can put the camera here like what kind of vibe can we get yeah, yeah, yeah. and and like that's so clear in this movie but also, like, what if you were born in Duressa and you grew up in Duressa, you know, in a refugee camp and you had kids in Duressa, like it, nothing, nothing ever changed and you were stuck. You had civil war from 1978 to 1990 or, or beyond. Like, yeah, it's just hard to imagine how you would process that kind of ongoing, consistent trauma and deal with it. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, that now I'm going to look like an asshole because the thing I was going to say was it makes me excited <laughs> for Dune. Uh, because, <laughs> like, I mean, one of the things that's interesting about Dune is it's obviously, you know, it's an ecological novel. The setting of the desert is central to the concept of the story. And yet from, like, Herbert's writing, you Herbert's not really a he's not a visual novel. Like you, you don't get that like description of the desert that like sort of really lives with you in a, like in a aesthetic way you get it in like a scientific way. Mm. And you definitely, I mean, they shot the desert they used in the Lynch dune is like a wasteland in Mexico. Like it, it has very little character. So we've never really just seen that like kind of the desert as a character, as like a, a place that influences the people that live there, which is obviously a central story in Dune. Mm. So I'm just excited to see what he's going to do with this fucking thing in Venice. Do you think because, because there isn't, like a really like strict sort of visual descriptions in the book that that's just going to give him more leeway in terms of like crafting what that space will look like because instead of it being like yeah they came in and the towers were this tall and you know all that stuff is not there so it's like okay i can describe like how big this room is going to be or sort of like how cavernous it is or how shallow or whatever absolutely i think he i think he can really do whatever he wants even like the qualities of the desert like you know it was like you know because like he shot it you know he shot it in 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 jordan again right like and so like to have this like desert that is more like dynamic and like has like a sort of these greater contrasts of like rock and the sand uh than you get in like you know the mexican desert and so yeah and like even stuff like what a siege to bore looks like is there's descriptions of it it's more like the minutia of it like here's what the fabrics of like the here's like what the woven fabrics look like and here's what the food looks like yeah yeah like here's what the equipment looks like but like the the layout of siege tabor is not something that i have in my head uh and so he is totally going to be able to do stuff with that that we've just never experienced with the story um so it's really exciting yeah but it's going to be you know as always that the the main word i always think of with denny is grounded and and realistic and so i think that's the part Mm -hmm. that will that will make it feel so lived in and that's what's so effectively done here uh simon does end up meeting with the the head of the 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 warlord basically who says that when he attacked that village he took the orphans with him that's how their brother ended up becoming a sniper and then ended up becoming a torturer and this is where we have the reveal that he is abu Tarek. so it it is a chinatown situation it's a chinatown yeah, exactly. Their father is their brother. This is where we have the the reveal of their mother, Nawal, at the pool as an older woman, and she sees her son's tattoos standing there. This is in Canada because he has also come over to Canada to get out of that area. And so I, I went back, and when I was watching it, you can actually see him standing off to the side and see that it's clearly him oh, wow. in that shot when she's looking at her mom sitting on the chair staring into nothing, um, which was intense. And he doesn't recognize her, but she... He does not. That's right. So at that point, they are able to, from the warlord, they are able to find him in Canada, and they deliver two letters, both letters delivered to him. And so this actually... So I was rushing to get through it a second time, and I didn't get all the way to the end. So did Nawal know that Abu Tarek was her yes. son? Yeah. Yes. The letters make it clear. Yeah, the letters make it clear that she knew what it was. I think so. That's why there's two letters. That's why there's two letters, right? 
But how, but how did she know? That's the question. She wrote the letters after, after, after her. She puts it together because her, she sees the dots on his foot. But that's not until. And then when she goes, but, but, then, but then she goes up to see him after. And that's when she realizes it's him. Oh, right, because okay. she would have known the the assa- yeah, like course. the guy who was sexually assaulting her in the jail. Of course, but then she yeah. puts yeah, it yeah, yeah. two and two together with the dots, and that's like right. That's when you're like, my well, what else do you do except go into a catatonic state? Like that's a crazy thing. So then you have a moment if she sees that if she sees the dots. In her head, she's thinking, oh, my God, it's my son. Right. And then she sees his face to see who he is. Whoa. Exactly. That's why you yeah. you kind of, like, skipped over this whole vital part of the whole movie, which is, like, the, dis- the discovery that <laughs> the brother they've been searching for is also their father. Like, that, right. to me, is, like, that is some, like, Greek tragedy level what the like what like how do you even handle how do you process that information like what do you do when like mm. literally like one of the worst things you could have ever found out just gets worse somehow yep like that's incredible like just digging for the past and the past what you'd find there is a dark and gruesome thing yeah why are we attracted to this kind of kind of movie what do you mean i know ian was saying like tara was asking him while he was watching midsummer and other stuff like why do you watch this stuff (laughs) well i mean i think like in one on one hand it's like you know it's it's and it's an extreme part of human existence that we because of our like you said where we live and are the privilege of where we live like are not going to be subjected to hopefully and so there's sort of like a like you know what is what is in the vast experience of human like you know experience out there that we are blind to that we can get a window into through the relative safer move of cinema mm. so i think there's like a uh, i think there is like a empathy machine there's like an empathy element to it and there's just like a voyeuristic element to it which is just like you mm. know we're approaching it like both as like yes we want to understand like more of the human condition and there's also more like it's like what the fuck's going on out there in the human condition so i think it's like i think it's both of those i think it's both of those drives at a um you know at at one level i think that makes sense to me in terms like did i sign up for like did i look for hey like incest movies like no that wasn't that wasn't like (laughs) this in the search bar but what yeah. was moving about it is like, okay, what is the Ted story? Ted Cruz, though, is in his <laughs> <Right>. Yeah, <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh, no, but it's like I what, – what's incredible is like it's the journey, right? It, it, it's this idea of like what – like having to dig through your past to find out like where all this pain and anger comes from. And like there's no way to address mm. or deal with this pain that you live through. You know, this like inherited trauma. What's that word, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that phrase? But like – there's no way of dealing with the pain that you have without digging into finding out what it is. And like in this case, mm-hmm. it's quite extreme, but like what, what happens is there's, there does in some weird way become a certain level of like, I can let go of this now. I understand where this comes from. I understand why my mom was the way she was. I understand why she treated me the way she, I, and I can't believe what she went through. And now there's like an acceptance and an understanding and like, what about Nawal too, right? For her to be able to Whoa. write those two letters, to separate one letter to him uh, as the father and then one as the son. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, but even that for her is like uh, so great for her because it's like she she's fe- like she has felt so shit about who she was 
and how many promises she's broken. Mm. And so that in a weird way, even that like is corrupt and screwed up as it is. It's like her opportunity to sort of like deal with this person in two separate ways, which is also kind of like such a s- interesting and like fascinating yeah. thing. Like uh, there's, there's more to that than I'm like even probably putting together in my first viewing, but there is something so powerful about that and the way that she goes about doing that. It was just like totally blew me away. Yeah. Because like, the end of the second letter, the letter to her son is like, you know, I still wrap you in love. Like, it's like this love, it's this letter of like, you know, I want to protect you. And I, and like, and you know, it, it's very, very strong shit. Like, it's really, it's really, really good stuff. That lifted me up for sure. And then the letter to the twins mm-hmm. as well. I mean, I, I just, at the end, what I took away from it is in spite of everything, you know, love can conquer all, right? And like, you know, you can forgive and accept and understand mm-hmm. if you if you can draw from within. And and she did. As parents, as I'm not a parent that you know of, that that's right. <laughs> Crossing fingers. There's so many stories of like, you know, serial killers or something, and like, you know, you find a, like, and you they talk to the parents and whatever, and like, there's this thing where you sort of like there's a, a certain level of like it doesn't matter what they do like there's a part of you that like loves and cares and appreciates like like and it, oh right you, you know what i mean like is is that does that like ring true in terms of like a mother's ability to sort of like separate sort of like the dark side of a person like her child or does that not, is that maybe stretching no i think it does i think it does i you know like Griffin is two and a half. He has not managed to do too much damage yet. No, I was going to say the opposite, which is like, (laughs) he's like in like a real, like, you know, he's like in a real destructive, like Mm. temper tantrum me phase right now. And like, we'll just like scream and kick and throw his whole body around. And like, Mm. I will definitely have like those moments where I'm looking at him like, you know, and it, it really is just that he's two and a half, I think. But it's like, also like, I'm like, what if he's, a crazy person. What if he's yes. a wolf hunter? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, like what if like what if he's just like got a terrible temper his whole life and it's just like, you know, really like, you know, uh, it's gonna be a challenge for him, like in terms of, you know, uh, how he treats people or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, like, you know, like I, I I've had that same thought, which I'm like, you know, are you am I gonna be like, you know, one of those people who's like, well, you know, He's a monster, but he's my child. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I So for me, I think about it uh, not even just for Sam. Like, I see instances where you have a serial killer or you have violence or other things where, to me, that, that always feels like that's a failure of society in some way, right? Like, no one starts out as a monster, uh, you know, and so whether it is education or what, nutrition. Well, that's not, I don't know if that's 100% true. Yeah, we have different we have different views on this. Yeah, yeah, I would say I would agree about that as well. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm like I'm like maybe it is maybe like you know maybe he's <laughs> just like you know a lunatic. I don't know. No, we, yeah, we don't, some, we don't know yet. No, we, sometimes your wires can just be crossed in a way that's not great. And like definitely, there's like a societal and like family sure, element sure. that could help right. in like guiding them. Mm. a little bit you know but i definitely there's some people unfortunate and it's not fair but like unfortunately like you just get a bad mix of dna and there's like not much you can do about that i guess i I don't watch true crime shows or or podcasts or anything so i don't know i guess some bad stuff happens oh yeah yeah there's h there's darkness in the world it turns out (laughs) yeah more than bad things happen to bad things happen to good people that's right yeah 
who would Tilda Swinton play in <laughs> on D? Uh, I want I want her as the as the mom. Like I think Whoa. I just wow. yeah I wow. just need her like giving me those stoic faces at the beginning, mm. and then I'm like I want her through this whole journey big time. Like I couldn't stop. That's all I could think about. That's great. I think Jason and I are going to be unified on saying that it's the notary. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I like the I like the notary. I think that's fun. But I was going to say the warlord. Mm. Uh, nice cameo like right at the end yeah, yeah. i yeah. love how they do that reveal too where yeah you can't see it. she doesn't see him and then he also does not see him for a while and it's like the same voice is there yeah, yeah and yeah. you get it from both her and her son's perspective but then you get to see him and you're like yeah oh, wow. that again that room the feeling of the room that they bring him in to meet him is fucking amazing yeah. like the way that is shot there's like some magic shit that's going on in the way that's put together that like it mm. feels captivating like you're totally drawn in you're seeing this limited weird view the tension is super good you have a total sense of like what the room feels like and looks like like it's it is magical how he does that room and really i would read an infinity of war of words about like how he does that stuff because it's it's incredible this is definitely denny firing on all cylinders that that yeah he's really sure. good yeah, I, that's really that was kind of my takeaway. I was like, has this? I've never. I don't think I've seen a bad movie from him. That that brings up a good point, which is like, I think this movie I like more than both Enemy and Prisoner. Mm, okay, I like this movie better than those, just because of like. I like the feel of it more. Like not like it's definitely better than Enemy. I don't think there's any question there. Yeah, but I think Prisoners is a, is a superior movie. I like Prisoners, but I I think I might side on Jason with this. Like I just think wow. it's so well executed, like on every level. Like there's no fat. It's beautiful. Everything is working at 150. percent Like yeah, every every little moment feels perfectly right. The tension, like you said. The, the again the the doling out of information the way that like the audience is aware of stuff that the characters are not but we're always sort of on the same page and and the way he lets that information go just gives so much depth to what's happening with performances that are already so good it's great yeah yeah yeah, yeah. loved it i'm putting it i'm putting it up there i think it's i think it's behind arrival blade runner and sicario but yeah up there with the rest easy for banger i actually would like i kind of like this more than sicario honestly wow like i would be more will i would be more willing to watch this than sicario again wow interesting yeah i've never really connected with sicario though that's not really i've watched it maybe once maybe twice and like mm. i've never it never just like it never clicked with me that's your summer yeah. vacation break assignment Rewatch Sicario. I wish that were true. I have much more difficult things to watch for that break. <laughs> yeah. Nice. All right. Let's get into letters. First letter is from Sophia Jones. Oh, that's great. We haven't had Sophia in a while, and she says... Hey, just wanted to write you guys a quick letter to let you know I was still listening. Things just got really busy for a couple of months, so now I'm pretty behind on the pod. I'm excited to make it to your Heretics episode. <laughs> Hopefully, I have finished the book by the... I've been, uh, I've been working at it for months now, and honestly, uh, I don't know what my opinion is yet. 
I feel bad. Your opinion is exactly how you should feel, and you don't want to feel that way, but it is exactly how you feel. It's okay. We give you we give you permission. I feel bad. I forgot that we had sort of tricked other people into reading that book. Uh, I don't want that on my conscience. Uh, I love the fact that as we're recording this now, that episode hasn't dropped yet. So oh. like people will have heard this, but yeah, I was going to ask my God. Yeah. How's the edit going? How's the edit going for it? It's tough. I was editing out on the deck, you know, <laughs> with the bear. So you know, we're getting, the we're bear. getting close. What does the bear think of it? What's the bear's favorite part <laughs> yeah. of heretics? The bear was pulsing. Is there is there good? Oh God! Is there good? <laughs> is there good shit in it though? Like, is there? Oh my is God! It, yes. Is it salvageable? Is oh it gold? yeah. All right. Oh yeah. 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 There's good stuff. There's. Uh, I listened in live. This is our streamies. The, the back half, and my God, right. that was the energy <laughs> in that room was some, something special. That was incredible, man. <laughs> The content of that book. Spicy. I have a friend of mine who's wa- reading Dune right now, uh-huh. blaring through it, and he's just about to start Heretics. And I was like, have you started that oh, yet? Wow. What? And he was like, oh, wow. no. And I was like, uh, I have only two words for you, sex duel. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> and then that was all I said. That's all I said. <laughs> so. Nice. Sex Nice. Uh, Sophia ends by saying, also can't wait for more Lynch movie episodes. I love hearing about his work from you guys. Oh, yeah. Good call. We're going to do Mulholland for sure. That one's, a, I like that movie quite yeah. a bit. Eraserhead? You know, I've never seen Eraserhead. Me neither. I've seen it. It's exactly what you think it is. <laughs> I'd like to do Elephant Man as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's great. I've, black I've and white. Very, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen that either. It's what he did right before Dune. So black and white independent film makes total sense. Yeah. Uh, keep it up and I will catch up someday. Sophia, thank you so much for writing in. We appreciate that. Great. It's awesome. All right, I have one voicemail for the season finale. Doompod, hey, it is Corey from Austin, hey, Texas. Do I even need to say that anymore? Anyway, it's me. And hey, Catcher, how's it going? Hey, Corey. Uh, how are things in Canada? It's good. Uh, maybe better or maybe not better than America. I don't know. You can tell us about it. Anyway, um, I have not seen this evening's film for the big finale, so I'll keep it brief. Uh, and just say congratulations on another successful season. You guys are really killing it. Every show is Aww. better than the last. I am proud to be part of the Discord and hanging out with all my internet Doompod friends. You guys are really the best. I really do appreciate y'all keeping me entertained and making my Monday mornings and afternoons uh, wonderful. My commute to work and working out at the gym is great with having you guys with me and Doompod. All right. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I'll talk to you next season. That's awesome. Corey, thank you. The world is right again. Can you imagine standing in the middle of your gym? You are pumping iron. You're like, you know, you're like flexing 25 pound biceps, listening to heretics. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. thinking about too. Good luck. Uh, it really does mean a lot to hear from people who like the show because it's, it's just nice to hear. So thank you for that. Yeah, it's a labor of love. Okay, well, Catcher, what do you have to plug, bud? Um, what is happening to Synodots? Like, what's yeah? Now that you've got a new dad, yeah, I don't like so. So me and Boom have had. I've I've been supposed to watch the Underground Railroad, okay, uh, yep. and okay. we've been supposed to discuss it, me and Boom, on on the show proper. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have not managed to finish it because I love Barry Jenkins, and mm-hmm. I really want to like slow slip this because I'm not going to get another movie from him for like. 
15 years until Lion King or whenever that comes out. Mm-hmm. So I think we may try and figure out a, a way of talking about that on an episode while mm-hmm. Ian's gone. And then, more importantly, on the 28th of June, Love Island is back. What? So, Oh, yeah. This is a very big deal. Tape Deck is wild for this show. This Love Island is really a, a, is hugely popular. <laughs> okay, so last year when things popped off and I actually got like two once off work, <laughs> Boom gave me a login for her like uh, Hey You account, which is like the Kardashians like... like uh, is that how you have to watch it? Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's on Hey You. So it's like the Kardashians own like a streaming platform and there's a whole bunch of like reality TV shows on there, but on there included is Love Island. And I spent those two months watching strictly basically Love Island for two months. And I'm not kidding you. It is the greatest uh, reality show that's ever existed. It's amazing. That's great. So we will, we will be taught. We will be talking about that while Ian's gone. Because that's oh, that's our, smart. This is our that's chance. Great. This is our chance. It won't be every week. Who's editing it? Is what I want to know. Okay, so <laughs> I might. All right, I, it's something that I've wanted to do. Okay, like I did a lot of like video editing back in the day. All right, let me know. I'm I'm happy to happy to make myself available if you have questions. You're gonna take you're gonna take another podcast on? No, yeah. no, 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 no. no I no. just I'm I'm happy to answer questions. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So I might do it, but we'll see. Or, or maybe we might throw it on Sophie. We'll see. There's no there's no expectations right now. It's we may not even put anything out. I love it. But we're gonna take a break while Ian is taking a break, and uh, if things come out, they come out. But yeah, listen to that and listen to Film Hags. That's great. I'll say that for now. Yeah, stay tuned. Everybody check out Tape Decks. You'll be able to see Synonauts. You'll be able to see, you know, Film Hacks, 70 Millimeter, all, all the shows that we have on there. Jason, I just want to just pause and say thank you. You know, 49 episodes. It's been over a year now that we've been doing this. And, all you know, other than, uh, you know, two brief hiatuses and, and one child being born, you know, almost every single week. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, I think we got something good going and, and to season four. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, this is like our third child. Each of us, each of us have two human childs and one one podcast child. That's right. But in our co-parenting relationship, Matt is definitely the the primary caretaker, uh-huh. uh, and I'm like more the fun uncle. So I just want to recognize that Matt is really out here making this thing happen through force of will and fending off bears to get you this fresh podcast content every week. I do what I can. I will say we are going to meet face to face for the first time just before we record uh, episode 50. So it'll probably go badly and that'll be the end of the podcast. We'll get in a, we'll get in a fist fight. Our our toddler children will be like, why are the dadas fighting? I'm like, look, Jason already admitted on the air that his kid is a nightmare. Okay, Sam, don't just go for the gut. Yeah. <laughs> All Griffin, <right>. sick him. <laughs> like like a Pokemon duel. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I keep my son in a in a ball, actually. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cut the stream. That's it for season three. We're done. All right. It was great. And that is it for season three of Dune Pod. Wow. I want to thank Jason and Catcher for a great conversation and Jason for the season. Next week, while Jason and I are on vacation, enjoy a bonus episode with three-time DunePod super guest and editor of Fangoria magazine, Meredith Borders. She returns to talk Lady Hawk's Matthew Broderick in 1983's Cold War thriller, War Games. 
If you're enjoying the show, check out our Discord server where you can join our live recordings and hang out with us whenever you want. The link is in the show notes. You can find our full movie set list on Letterboxd. And if you want to support them by upgrading to pro or patron status, use promo code DUNEPOD at checkout to save 20%. DUNEPOD is a tape deck podcast, John, a production of H Industries. Our artwork is by Catcher, and our theme music was composed by Toby Forsman of Whipsong Music. The episode was produced and edited by me, H. Thanks for listening. We'll see everybody next season. 